0: Thing your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Matthias and I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I are uh, lead addicts, as in uh, addicts to the material found in pencils, and so we scribble away on the page. However, we don't always make sense in what we write
1: mm-hmm. exactly. So, we're doing a challenge each week. One of us uh, sits down for 30 minutes to write a complete short story. Our goal is to write that story using three of four randomly generated words
0: then we come on the podcast we read the story we talk about what we can learn from writing it and then we talk about stories sent in by you
1: listeners exactamundo we're simply here to help you do the right thing a A doof Doof media Media production production Production. 63 63 we've been doing this for 63 weeks
0: hey hey we're coming up on that on that special special number coming close number 70 (laughs) how
1: have you been doing buddy How's how's it going? Doing the right thing this week?
0: Uh, I didn't do the right thing this week because you did the right thing this week. But I um, did do the right thing this week. You did do the right thing this week. Uh, it's been good. Uh, the main thing is, of course, doing decomposing worm, which uh takes more and more time. Or maybe it took a lot of time the first time, and I just didn't notice. And it's now every week I just realize how much. I think right now I'm like doing like twenty hours a week of podcast stuff. Oh my so... god!
1: Yeah, that seems about right. I mean, what it's. It's four hours to re to record decomposing worm. It's eight it's hours like, to edit it, and then it's three it's hours six to, to, to eight, record yeah. this one. Yeah,
0: yeah, and then all the all the actual prep work stuff, which is a lot. So <laughs> fun stuff, fun stuff. I mean, it is. Um, yeah, haven't haven't written too much story stuff. I need to I need to make more time for that too. Wow, um, are
1: you are you not a writer anymore? Have you put have you put down your pencil? I am a
0: writer every other week when I do the right thing. So. Mm.
1: I see, I see. (laughs) Well, this week, I did the right thing. And I will have to tell you, it was fantastic. It was.
0: Um, That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I I, I know I really don't talk about it that much, but this week has been especially difficult, just a lot of things going on. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I think the saving grace for me this week was actually um, being able to find that time to actually do the right thing. So I decided to... um, Try my hand at a idea that I've just kind of been mulling over for uh, quite mm-hmm. some time. And, uh, and of course, it is inspired by partially by me watching a lot of Teen Wolf uh, and, <laughs> and, okay. per- and progressively enjoying anything uh, a supernatural. And also, I have just been reading a lot of books about like nature. I think they're called ornithological texts. So just people oh, right, going right. through and talking about, you know, this is what where this is, this is how it happens, uh, this is what these creatures' lives uh, normally are are like. And I've been really digging that.
0: I, I love those as a kid so much, the like monster books and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I just love how much passion you can really see come across on the page and especially when they're talking about something quite mundane so this week I guess my story is a collection of the both uh, it's a it's a tale of supernatural or anthology
0: uh, yeah so uh, this week's words were cue precision aim and advisor uh, which ones did you use this week Jarvis
1: I used all of them besides aim because I could not figure out place to really put it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, in all honesty, uh, all of the words for this week, I feel really hand-fisted into the story. I think that's because I allowed myself just to write a story that I want to to write instead of being influenced by by the words, which is fine. I mean, you know, do what you can to get yourself to write. I just know that... uh, my main focus this week was not on the four words. So. Uh,
0: yeah, so the, the theme this week is atmosphere. So obviously Ooh. we're going to get into that and see how you executed that in the story, but um, how did you get into a mindset to write some stuff with atmosphere?
1: Yeah, so um, one huge huge thing that I really did that kind of influenced me to want to write about atmosphere this week was that I watched the newest version of The Pet Cemetery. which if you haven't seen it, okay. it's an extremely open old- okay film it's very similar to the old one only with a weird twist um but there's this one really great scene where they are on their way to the pet cemetery and they go from this pretty plain forest to this almost like stage like metamorphic rock path that's shrouded in this purple fog and it looks so crazy and so cool and that got me thinking well how how would you write about how to set that up like Mm -hmm. how all these different aspects work together to paint this perfect picture so for me this this week i heavily focus on my description on the things around the main character to kind of build that atmosphere
0: no that yeah that's great uh so uh how about we just get into it and then we'll go ahead and talk about it
1: So, the title of this story is The Banshee and Her Husband. At the turn of the century, Mikhail Campbell was born to Susanna and Wilcox Campbell on a chilly night in the small hidden town of Brookhow, placed a few miles south of Mount Basilisk's Rattle. The town was always shrouded in strangety, myth, and secrets, things the world around Basilisk could not mimic. As a youth, Mikhail was fascinated by the few books his town cultivated ornithological studies of lands and creatures far and wide, and quickly he noticed no novel could come close to the unusual creatures around Basilis. So, at the ripe age of 32, he dedicated the remainder of his life to supernatural ornithology, a field of study fostered by him. This was the first of his many volumes. The Banshee and Her Husband. Very few times will you ever see them, but every time they do visit, beauty awaits in the days." A quote by Miriam, Mother Miriam Brookhau. As far as anyone knows, this event only happens in Brookhau. Here you can see them, two by two, dressed in black and queued single file, marching down the streets of Brookhow. daunting figures, silent and focused. They don't eat, nor shop at our fine stores their only moment of rest being when they stop to wail at the skies and wait for the sick to die. As our town has grown, so have their numbers, which, when met with common understanding and the fantastical miracles they bring, could be seen as a blessing. Historically speaking, the foggy cliff overlooking a level clearing, small, spherical, and smack dab in the center of tall, brazen woods, home, was where the last settler, Mother Miriam, of a convoy of sixty, brought her husband and ten children to their final destination, before the giant snake, frozen over by its gaze, roamed the woods. There was no sign of civilization for miles upon miles, only untampered nature and dangerous overgrowth. At that time, the mines were not yet discovered, nor was the trading outposts, selling little to nothing besides snake oil. So the journey was shrouded in the fumarous mulch and steep drop-offs of the lands to the west, ones many sick and dying have flung themselves off of in the name of their god. From where they came from, they were unsure, for when the journey began, Mother Miriam was little more than an infant. All she could remember was that they faced an endless ocean that one day ended, even though research says there never was an ocean there to begin with. Myth tells us that the watersnake Bofri, an undulating beast, well-spoken in season, whose size coiled in to underwater geysers, shifting plates along the Marianas Trench, foretold the end of the waters. As Mother Miriam wrote, Bofri pleaded with his people to walk steadfast into the unknown east, that as soon as the ocean ends, so will their shelter and feast. Beaufry's warning was half-baked, however, or maybe caramel dipped for the sake of his people, because they were ill-prepared for the weather, couldn't fend off the coyotes, nor protect against the rot that took their numbers. Even Miriam's husband, Father Beauregard, strong yet stout, befell the rot along the journey. Halfway, the children helped him, their parents long gone. Then it rained, and in the home stretch she carried him. With cracks of lightning licking her heels, and no fewer than miles out, he became too heavy, limp. So she put him in a cart that was supposed to house rations and blankets, that was then barren and slightly moldy, all the way up the hill, that would break through the forest in the form of a cliff. She could not look back, for the wet rattle of inflated lungs ceased well before they entered the tall woods. No longer did he murmur praises of his wife advising her on all that he knew, only a bleak silence. She planned to leave the cart at the peak, symbolism of her husband's watchful eye, and, at its peak, where she would see the plot that would become my home, she also met her first banshee. Up there, the rain reached a new furiosity. The pit-pat against sedentary became gushing volleys of icy water, Water that she herself said could refill our oceans thrice over. The rocky path smoothed to a plateau that hung mere inches from a greasy fog. It stuck to treetops and slicked the skin, obscuring anything beyond mere inches. As a cliff reached out to the mold skies, an old willow that grew roots in the rock's core caught the rain on its branches. She was motionless in wait in the smallest of nooks under the willow and murmured in the cold rain as if dictating their descent. The Banshee wore a jet black dress, was jet black, as if under her gown was a humid void. Her gown was unnecessarily elegant, a remnant of an old civilized world, had cuff sleeves and an oversized cage hoop that pierced the corners of the dress with precision with a thin veil that could only show the frailness of chins, her head was downturt and arms up high, clasped in prayer and swayed in the wind. It is said that she would have towered the willow if she stood, that the frills of her funeral gown graced the spiny peaks of the woods below. This again is by Miriam's account, never have I found a banshee or husband any less humanoid than ourselves. And if her story is true, I'd chalk it up to that lone banshee being that of a dying breed. From here, the story delves into mystery, but one telling was that when Miriam brought her husband there, the banshee ceased her prayer to usher Miriam forward, only to turn towards the skies once more and chant over the rain. Many years later, Miriam would write of a sixth sense that flares up in the presence of the supernatural, that things such as banshees are beyond speech, yet, quite communicable. This sense told her to approach the Banshee and to bring the cart. So she followed, placed the cart beside the Banshee and found a dry spot under the willow. After what seemed to be hours, the Banshee finally moved away from her prayer to gaze at Miriam's husband, Father Beaugard, who was bloated and green with rot by that time. Miriam watched the Banshee closely, her gaze feeding understanding. The Banshee ceased her murmurs, satisfied, after looking at Beauregard for minutes. From the onyx under her gown, a frail gray arm unfurled blackened nails towards Miriam. Her hand was diseased. Pale discoloration separated the knuckles of her hands to the width of a bear's paw, and from the paper-thin palm's spidery fingers with two joints too many caught raindrops in the wrinkles. That voice in her head said to take her hand, and so she did. It was the best rest of her life, and, by the time she woke, the rain had parted for sun and dew. Her husband, the cart, the banshee, and kids were all gone. In fact, she wasn't on the cliff at all. Deep in the woods below the fog, right out of view from the clearing, sat an ancient structure made of stone and silk. Seven black pillars trailed two stories up, connected to a pointed roof not unlike a cathedral. Midnight silk streamed from pillar to pillar, wrapping round each thrice, and connecting in the middle. If you didn't know it was there, you'd never find it. However many years it's been there has integrated the stone monument into the prickly trees and thick vines, as if nature tried to hide her little mistake. This is where Miriam woke, along the black steps a few feet outside the mausoleum. She recounts not being able to look inside at the center of the silken stone, that she was sure whatever was in there was not meant for her. Then she heard cries from around the back. Miriam followed the sound to find the children fast asleep in a field of grass and thriving flowers, but they weren't crying. She then found the cart by the tree line, broken down into hunks of pine and scrubbed free of mold, but it wasn't crying. It wasn't until she looked past the children to a dead oak tree capsized under its weight, where she saw the banshee crying tears only a mother could shed. Next to her was a man, suited in black, that filtered the light. But his wardrobe was more modern, boxy, and glistened in the young sun. His face was covered same as his wife, wore a wide-brimmed Stensten hat that draped tiny piggin strings that stuck together to form a veil. A notable thing about the husband is that they're the gravediggers of the two. So he held a shovel, firmly pressed in the earth, massfully crafted from nothing but stone. The couple stood over a tombstone made from fresh pine. Below the tombstone, there sat her husband, unburied atop the dirt and decorated in fresh flowers and local fruits. The rot had left his body, returned it to its natural texture and golden brown this was the husband she left paradise with the man who was so strong and righteous she didn't have to be for so many years this was her husband she went to them both bowing slightly to accept her presence and looked towards her husband whose smile was deceptively lively the man handed her the shovel and kneeled down placing a white gloved hand over Beauregard's heart The banshee likewise placed a hand over his heart, and together they rose, hand on hand, till their hands were comfortably by their waist. Then the banshee placed a hand under the man's; He removed his, and the banshee brought clasped hands up to the heavens. Miriam watched as her hands opened to the skies, releasing a raven who was eager to go. With her sixth sense, she heard the words of her husband as he went away, and it brought her to her knees. By the time the raven soared beyond the clouds, the banshee and her husband had disappeared into the mausoleum. All right, great story, Jarvis.
0: Um, I actually really, really uh, love the, the beginning uh, very, very much. That's the first thing um, I want to talk about. <laughs> But oh, uh,
1: it, the like lead in.
0: Yeah, the lead in. I you know it sets kind of this 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 kind of writing, and I think every text has like an in-story in story in a purpose that's that's written to the into the text, right? Like, why is this being written, and how does that you know yeah. influence how things are talking, the, uh, talked talked about? Yeah, the frame, and so you set up this one frame, and I think it it slowly morphs over time and becomes less of like a specific monster study and more of a like historical myth. And as you go through, mm-hmm. it, it becomes more and more mythologized and, and it sounds more like a like a parable kind of thing. And yeah. I, I think that's a really interesting flavor of story. And, of course, it's it's reinforced by all these things that you do to, to build this atmosphere of, like, this mystical things happening in in the middle of a forest, in the middle of the wilderness, on a continent that nobody has been on, and these uh confounding factors that build this this nature of just being alone and having mysterious giant things approaching
1: Mm. so uh yeah so in the process of really writing this one at first i was really trying to uh stay very scientific um in in fact at first this wasn't really the, the the story that i wanted to to tell you know like this is a historical tale of basically how this this town was was founded, right? But at first, the idea was just to take a picture of of this town now, where the people are very well integrated with these strange supernatural happenings that are the that are the banshee and the husband. But as I continued to write, I basically turned a one paragraph story into the story that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think. Adding that frame helped me beyond anything else. It really helped me figure out what the story is, where we are. It it, it helped me figure out all of the background so I can solely focus on what is on the, the page, what is coming across in the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it... it, it it was a really great thing for me. And I think that's definitely something I might do more often.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I could I could see how that lets the the flow go a lot easier, especially if you once you get into a frame of mind where other things of that kind of flavor, right? Once you start like feeling what you're trying to write, I think carrying that across to readers becomes easier and easier because you connect to all the other media and examples that you've ever, you know, experienced of that flavor. Um and you can yeah. bring that back in. I say flavor because I, you know, that's 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 how I sensation. It, um, but for others, you know, might yeah, be a hue or whatever, some other metaphor. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, it is is definitely a flavor. Like the addition of it adds a whole new kind of taste to the uh, meal of of this story. You know, like it's it's like taking plain plain Jane rice and then dousing mm-hmm. it in delicious soy sauce and meal mm-hmm. sauce. Yeah, it's flavor. And it makes mm-hmm. it all that much more better. So. Yeah, yeah, that,
0: that's very true. You sprinkle in some, some forest and uh, you, you take away an endless ocean and then uh, add some greasy mists, which is a, a great descriptor. And uh, yeah, you, you come up with a whole new uh, flavor of existence. Re- real quick, I want to talk about the Giant Banshee, which I thought was really interesting. Yes. Uh, it's very Castle of otranto uh, for those who don't know, uh, the Castle of Otranto is this 18th century novel. It's the first gothic novel, or what we would now call uh, in the genre of like gothic stuff, right? Like Frankenstein yeah. and whatnot. And when you read it, it, there's like supernatural happenings, but they're all like completely disconnected and ridiculous. Like the first one is that a giant helmet crushes the prince. Like, <laughs> like it it falls from the sky and crushes the prince. So that just reminded me of that, of just like. Uh, these kind of, unstoppably, you know, huge and and kind of very hard to understand to to the point of like I don't want to say humor, but not not humor, but like a cross between surprise and confusion, right? Yeah, um, it's suprusion, suprusion, right? Uh, so a human human being, ghost being that huge is is definitely something within that that genre, and it it called me back to reading. The, the castle of otranto
1: and and yeah i think that was that was one thing that i was unsure about is um the actual size of these banshees because like one huge huge thing that i really focused on when it came to writing the banshees that i wanted to describe what the aura of being in the presence mm-hmm. of, of this banshee is like it's this creature who looks so human it has everything, but their hands are huge. They have their, they're like double jointed. Uh, you, you can't see their face and they don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I was just really trying to work with how I guess, quote unquote, creepy. Can I make this while also at the very end kind of shoving. they're They're simply there to pass souls on. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, As you said in the beginning, uh, as the story went on, it changed, right? Mm -hmm. It it went from something a little bit more scientific to myth, right? And I guess my, my question is, did that change work for you? Was it like, did you see it coming? Or would you rather it stay the same way as it was in the beginning? Because personally, I feel that as it went on uh i got worse at my writing oh like, like i had
0: I, I would disagree with that well so I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't say that like i specifically wanted it to stay in specifically the tone at the beginning in fact I, I really 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 love the 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 intro you know thing at the beginning before the actual like text begins but i feel that this particular story fits more in the mythos that you that you did. I think if you continued with the you know scientific sort of tone, that would be a different story. You you would end up telling something different. Mm-hmm. So I I mean I think okay, they're, yeah. they're I think they're both valid. It, I, but that transitionary period before you know you find the footing within this dark forest, I think is where 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 it falters a little bit. But once you get in there, I think the tone solidifies.
1: All right, cool. Yeah, and I mean I think that was definitely like the reason why there why it feels like there's that disconnect is because there was a dis, there was a dis, there was a disconnect within myself too, right? I was trying to I was trying to figure out how is she how was mother Miriam going to go from this cliff overlooking this this clearing to next to a mausoleum and the grave of her dead husband. Mm-hmm. So, so I was like and then she fell asleep, which I mean in my eyes is is a is a cop-out but But that's
0: how like half of the old myths go exactly (laughs) so but yeah
1: uh through doing that i i also i guess built up more of what what this banshee is and and what it can do because now it can just sleep people so that's pretty cool Mm um
0: yeah I, i think it worked if i'm gonna critique somewhere i think the the main thing i'm gonna critique is just not quite knowing what kind of world this is in so, like, yeah. I, I have the, like, I, I definitely have, like, the specific setting grounding, right? But I was kind of waffling back and forth of whether this is, like, you know, like a real place with just supernatural stuff, like, it, like you know, a place in America, or if it was an entirely different location. And if so, like, what is expected and what isn't. Because you have these things like the mm, the endless ocean and which, which I, I mean, I found them really interesting and I, I like them, but I just didn't know how to fit them all together.
1: Mm, I see. Yeah. Especially. And then it, also, you know, there's, there's a giant snakes.
0: Yeah. My main, and I think of a main like confounding thing was like certain, uh, I don't know if anachronisms is the right word because how, how can it be anachronistic if it's like a different universe, but stuff like, like a Victorian dress, a yeah. Victorian dress is like the name Victorian comes from the Victorian era of like england so it kind of implies the yeah. existence of england so it's which
1: like, is which is specifically why i did not use the word victorian because they, i knew it, it just wouldn't fit you know
0: did it not go in there i could have hmm? maybe i just maybe you just described something in uh, so perfectly uh, victorian that i assumed the word victorian was in there
1: yeah i mean i i think the part you're probably thinking of is when it's like she uh, she wore a black dress. She was jet black. I thought for sure you used the word Victorian. No. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I, I'm sorry. I specifically I made reason. sure not to use that word. Uh, wow. I'm but I idiot. did do everything I could to describe a, a Victorian dress with the uh, with the curled up sleeves mm-hmm. and the. I like just learned that uh, the cage part is actually called a, a, a cage hoop. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know the, that. Like cage hoop that that's piercing out and. And all that, so I tried.
0: Um, no, well, I mean, yeah, no, no, you, you got it perfectly. I, I, okay. Well, in that case, let me let me uh, re reframe my 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 feeling. Then I think it just then I'm wondering where where this sort of thing is coming from. Like, is this you know post apocalyptic or whatever? Where there was a Victorian sort of civilization here and now it's gone that kind of thing where i was i just wasn't sure yeah where, where to place it in time and, and, and place, in place in the broader sense yeah. not not in the specific moment
1: yeah and i mean i feel that's something that i can definitely think about more um exactly what brand of supernatural is this mm-hmm. uh be because um one thing that i purposely set up was that the banshee is wearing a victorian dress but her husband is wearing a very boxy more 50s uh suit right ah. um mm-hmm. and and i wasn't sure if these beans are just stuck out of time mm-hmm. uh and then of course talking about what they wear asked the question where do they get that mm-hmm. uh, and like are they human or are they not and the and like these are definitely things i was thinking about but there was nowhere in this story that i could really find it to appear on the actual page. And also it's more stuff that I have to really think about. Like um, if she is wearing a Victorian dress and I say that uh, the dress that she is wearing is a remnant of an old civilization, well then this is post-Victorian. So, but then also the, the people that mother Miriam went with were pilgrims. So that kind of, I guess asks a lot of questions on like exactly where and when th- this is, and those are things that I definitely would take into consideration moving forward with with this story. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just um, like the rest of the atmosphere and setting just was very, very clear to me. And then the only thing that was mixing it up was just yeah, it was that. I I I really like this sort of feeling that that comes around by the end of it. That this is almost like one of the only places in existence, like this is the only town in existence and everything kind of like spreads from there is is kind of how it feels because there's this like okay. empty forest. Um, I mean, I, I know that's not exactly the case, but like I, I got I very mean, much a sense of like loneliness and like a new beginning kind of thing because I know this is definitely. the origin of that town.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you're uh, almost spot on. I mean, th- I, I, I tried to frame it to where this is the only town where things like this happen, right? And how it's so isolated from everything else. Like I remember saying that, uh, when they, they, uh, when they got there, this was before there were trading outposts, before there were mining towns, before mm-hmm. there was any sense of a civilization. And in fact, I think on a different story, if, if she didn't run into the Banshee, they probably would have just passed up on this little mm-hmm. plot of land. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, definitely things to think about in the future. but but back on the topic of of atmosphere, uh, in the story, what do you think worked the best to kind of set up that atmosphere? Like what bits did you really grab onto?
0: I think there's multiple things going into it. I think the sense of of loneliness that you build out of just everyone being gone and 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 rotted away uh, with only basically one real character left. Mm-hmm. And so you have all these forests. You go up to a cliff. you so you focus a lot on these these natural features and and make them kind of the center of of the setting where the character is just one tiny you know blip of right. Uh, and you have other things like the you know the the greasy mists and stuff like that. And then when you bring in stuff like the the banshee, it being so huge and and you know dwarfing also builds this more of a this this feeling of just there's there's unknown and mysterious things going on where you don't know what to expect it's so different so these things are 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 going together to build this yeah the the feeling of of loneliness and mists and rain and yeah those are the things that went through with me and and the fact that you start off with talking about this ornithology and this sort of like yeah a a gothic-esque you know signalers of yeah. you know we're stuttering we're, we're studying you know monsters and supernatural things and not necessarily not necessarily evil but not necessarily good as either yeah it, i think focusing a lot on, on these colors and and things really helped me get this feeling
1: all right cool yeah uh and i know with that um that was definitely something that i did on like a second run run through it uh because at at first i had nothing about the actual journey be a uh, besides uh mother miriam having to carry her her husband up that that cliff but on a second run when the story's already there um i just had a blast just adding as much Mm -hmm. d as much detail as much sensory as i as i possibly could uh and i feel that that's definitely something i'm going to take into uh, into consideration going forward that you don't really have to get it all there on the first run, and in, in fact, you won't get it mm-hmm. on the first run. I feel that a first run through a through a story, at least for me, is just plot. You know, mm-hmm. you you go through and, and you put the like plot down, you put down the whole outline, and then f- from there you start to build to where all of the plot points that you did set up uh, have a lot more flavor to them, like. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, if I didn't describe the journey up to the Banshee, I don't think seeing this this Banshee would have hit the same way, right? In most things that, like, you read, right, when, like, has there been a moment where the description of the atmosphere has gone too far to where you're spending too much time there?
0: Uh, yeah, Lovecraft. <laughs> Definitely Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah.
1: De- That's
0: definitely Lovecraft. I, I, honestly, anything less than Lovecraft. No. Um, and even Lovecraft is, you know, done it, doing it with a purpose. Uh, so I, I mean, nothing that uh, modern writers, especially we don't take this kind of really long meandering, um, type st- style. We, we focus more on, on simplicity. You know, everyone post Hemingway is very, uh-huh. the, the style and the, the way that people usually want is simplified. And even so, even when we stretch out our descriptions and go a lot further, you know, like Game of Thrones and stuff like that, it still isn't that much. It's so
1: simple. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's not. It's, yeah. 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 It's it's not delving um, super deep to things that you wouldn't normally notice
0: we we don't take two pages yeah. just for just for description we also always have something going on within those two pages even if you know exactly. maybe half of that is description
1: and honestly i feel that that's probably a, a testament to just kind of where society is going i mean i know everyone's heard this uh, this argument a thousand times but i think one of the reasons why it's hard to really see a writer put down three three full full pages trying to describe the skies because m- a lot of modern readers would just check out after the first paragraph, right? Yeah, I mean um, it's a
0: it's a modernist thing. Um, so when mm-hmm. when modernism was first you know becoming like a like a movement, you know every movement is it, every aesthetic movement is, is very hard to pin down, but modernism is very focused on, efficiency and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the, the modernist influence on writing specifically was focused on just like, what is the impact? Let's just do the impact. Nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, strip away yeah. all of the, you know, tangents and mm-hmm. uh, preludes and, and uh, anything that, that, that doesn't serve specifically. What is the specific goal? Does that matter? And it, this was especially like in, you know, more commercial, kind of writings but of course mm-hmm. it also filters into every other kind as well um,
1: yeah I mean it was a huge movement dedicating to cutting all of the fat of the previous movements like I know before modernism I mean like so many romantic writings are the pinnacle of meandering mm-hmm. and just wafting around this, this setting I mean personally that is a lot of, of the stuff that I'm drawn to Because I love just drinking in description and sensory, right? But I also noticed that, you know, like, the sad truth is that a a lot of overarching description that is in a lot of older pieces is fat that has been been trimmed by the modernist movement. Now, it doesn't mean that that fat isn't delicious. In fact, (laughs) when you're cooking anything meat, the fat is where all the flavor is. But mm-hmm. now we're a little bit lean, you know. We are leaner modernists, and now we're postmodern, maybe even post-postmodern, depending on who you talk to. So mm-hmm. I don't know where we're going.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh in a weird place. Basically, um, yeah, and the, and the postmodern criticism is that like, it's is why 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 are we focusing on a purpose of writing at all, kind of thing. What <laughs> what what is what is good? What is right? Basically, yeah. yeah um, but okay, that's, just that's, gets muddy. that's a, a bit of a tangent. And if you want to hear more about different literary literary, literary movements, uh, go listen to Decomposing Worm, because that's what the second half of the podcast is about. So,
1: oh, um, look at that self-plug. Yeah, Selfless self-plug. self-plug. Um,
0: <laughs> if you've read Worm, go listen. All right, I think uh, that is what we have uh, for your story. So uh, just, to, to, just to finish off, what do you think you learned from... Writing it?
1: Uh, from writing this, I definitely learned that coming up with a frame first and foremost has been very helpful for me. Uh, and just if nothing else, it gets me into the proper headspace that I need to be in to write that story. It takes me from just brainstorming to active thoughts of uh, writing it. So that's definitely something that I learned. Also, uh, I like basically taking very commonly known uh, supernatural beings and just adding a own a little twist to them. Like I know, uh, for instance, in the story, the Banshee never screamed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which I purposely did that uh, just because, I don't know, I, I, thought be, I thought it would be interesting to see a Banshee that isn't solely yelling to, to the top of their lungs for for no no reason i try my best to apply a reason as to why this banshee is is here so yeah definitely doing doing stuff like like that um beyond anything else definitely helps me when it comes to coming up with a different lens to look at a lot of things so Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah definitely definitely all right
0: uh let's get into the listener story section
1: all right so this is the listener story section the best section of this podcast but before we say anything we're about to talk we're about to talk about a few stories all right and we're going to talk about them in depth in detail which means they're going to get spoiled Mm
0: -hmm. now
1: if you're like me someone who hates spoilers with a fiery passion then you will probably want to pause this this podcast right now after you hear who we're going to be talking about, of course. Go, read them, and then come back so you, so you can be a part of the discussion with us.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, who are we reading
1: today, Jarvis? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked. The stories we are going to be talking about this week are by It's Fine By Me, Jarby Jazz, Watercolor Heart, Sarah Penguin, and Kasubalu V2. That's right. Let's get into it. And the first it. one up on the dock. it is Sarah Penguin with Spymaster and the Princess Part 8, Warbroom.
0: That's right. So, of course, this is an ongoing entry in the series. I think we haven't hit every single one, but we hit a, yeah. a good number of them. Again, I'll, I'll say this only once every podcast... That the, the, the more you submit, the more likely that you are to have your story talked about. And if you submit every single week, you are very likely to get talked about. So if you haven't written with us ever or you haven't in a while, I am I know there's there's some of you because there's like uh, there's a certain amount of commenters, a certain amount of, of downloads every every week. And those are uh, not the same number. So if you, <laughs> if you aren't writing a story, remember, we'll talk about you. We'll will will say your username and talk about the thing that you wrote. So, uh, yeah. so this is uh, part eight of uh, Sarah Penguin series, which is about this uh, princess that was uh, captured by her uncle and tortured for uh, for a long time, and she's been freed by the spy master of the the rebellion. Essentially, so in this scene, we are in the war room with uh, Duke Vargulf, um, <laughs> who is making uh preparations for an attack and and the princess princess is involved in in watching this Uh, It she's kind of being used as a sort of political pawn um, with with some agency but not as much as the spymaster would like we we get some description of, of the room we get this this feeling you know that it's uh secretive and over time as we go um we kind of get that the Duke is is very confident and kind of taking charge of this whole thing, and by the end of it we are sort of worried about the the princess because she's gonna be, you know, involved in the battle, even though she actually doesn't I mean she knows how to fight a little bit, but not enough to, you know, actually be in a battle. She's worried about uh, the people that are gonna die and they just kinda of have to be sacrificed because this is a this is a war. So we're kind of getting the the, the first does it, some some of the questions that this kind of series would would want to answer that you know is it is it worth to to do things like this throw throw lives away for a, a good cause?
1: I mean honestly I really really like this. It's a really great dialogue scene between two characters. I think you know this story does really good at giving us a little bit of deeper uh, characterization of both. And yeah, a, one really cool thing that I like is that as this series has progress there have de- there's definitely been not only a lot more great world building but as you said there are these questions of worth in this entire war that they're looking towards so i think this is a really great entry that just has me looking forward to nine you know seeing what is next in this story so really great mm-hmm.
0: yeah so the next one we're going to be talking about is by Kasubalu v2 with uh, Improved Exports, uh, another Magic entry rings. in the Magic Ring series. I, I don't know why, but I really like that title, Improved Exports. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, but it just, just, it's just nice to me. This um, uh, so one we have uh, Kara and uh, Kara is the main character. She's recently gotten some magical powers, uh, and Nimian is going to help her escape the city because there's some inquisitors about. So this is basically the moment of them uh, escaping. Uh, Kara and Nimeon are... Uh, close to the the uh, the gate, we we have some dialogue uh, as Nimian kind of shows Car how it's done, how how sneaking around is done. Uh, all the carts leaving the city uh, get inspected, but they're not inspected as much going out as they are coming in. Nimian basically does a little bit of magic to cause a ruckus, uh, basically causing a, a a cart to to dump a bunch of stuff, and then they are going to hop into another cart as as it exits. But during it. Uh, car gets a little bit distracted by some uh, glassware. It, think basically swept up, and and we can, we couldn't really tell through the narration how this is taking place. Uh, swept up in how she could use her magic to improve it and do a much better thing. But then uh, Nami pulls her out of it. And we, you know, we're a little bit concerned for her. She kind of feels like she almost got caught. And uh, they have a moment of of mm. you know a little bit of bonding. They're holding hands in the cart as it exits, and that's pretty cute. Um. But of course, we're concerned for how this is gonna, how her powers might increase in the future if she doesn't get control of them. So yeah, I I really like the story. Um, I, I think yeah, this this is another cool entry in in, um, a little bit of action as as the exit. Casublu said that we're gonna do action this time, and of course they they admit while well, there's not like a fight scene here, there is you know some some action, some, uh, physical things being done under, under tension. And I think it's executed pretty well. You know, we have a, a good picture of of the things that we need to know to understand the, the, the stakes and exactly what's being done here.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that I really like is that uh, the stakes and tension that was set up in the previous entry has not lost steam going into this one. Uh, because I've noticed that I know if you're going between multiple pieces, probably writing them at different times maintaining that steam that that you have built built up um is really difficult you know especially since you could be in a totally different a totally different headspace but i do like how there's this great uniformity with this entire series and this one entry uh and again you're you're getting a, a lot more characterization of uh, nimi and fair, a fairly new a fairly new character um and on t- on top of that, as you said, the the stakes just continue to erase and now they're a little bit more bold about the magic and uh, talking about it. So, yeah, I think it's just a really great uh, entry and it's a fantastic read. So thank you very much. So the next story up is by Watercolor Heart with a untitled story.
0: So uh, this is a, an interesting story that kind of gains details as it goes. We start off with this uh, game being played at this this tournament um, with the main character Cryan and uh, his girlfriend Losana uh, as they're they're going through. They're playing a game called uh, Hexes and Hoaxes, which is this <laughs> sort of uh, magical strategy game. We kind of understand, which I thought was really cool. I, I always love games in in stories. I don't know why, but they're they're just so fun. So. We, we you know we get some some rough picture of what's going on at, at the very least enough to sort of get the flavor of how this game is played. You know it's a like a more complicated version of Risk. You know very, very StarCraft. I I felt, mm-hmm. um, and of course it's like long term. So uh, but then it, it it morphs over time where, uh, we we kind of get that this is it's more of like a, a flashback, and now in, in the future, Cryon is like the. Controller of an entire uh, city, and Losana is you know his girlfriend is like long dead now, but they have they have a daughter. Basically, you know the the sort of strategy sort of thing that the beginning of the story talks about is used in how Krynn is deciding to govern and and take control of things. We also get hints that this is uh you know more of a magical world where the the main characters are I think more like a uh, dragon people, yeah. and the others are you know, different sorts of, of humanoid animals and that adds some more, more flavor. Um, and so there's, there's actually a lot that goes on here, but by the very end we get uh, kind of some, some greater world-building things of um, how, uh, finishing on the thought that omen, the name of the daughter, um, was a word with more than one meaning and kind of uh, hinting at future troubling things that may may occur.
1: Yeah. Uh I think one thing that I really liked with this story is the uh, parallelism between the beginning and the second half. Uh and it mm-hmm. matches up really well. Like through the description of of this game and the certain routes that that one could could play, we understand the main character even more when they are in this position of power. And I think that was done really well. And on top of that, uh, it's fantastic world world building. Like I wasn't sure what I was going into, but as I continued to to read, I was hit with more bits on what these people look like and like uh, their naming con- uh, conventions and like exactly how this world works. And I really really liked it for that. Uh, and I think honestly, yep. the only thing is I would love to see a continuation to further that that world building and also see what, what strange thing is going on with the main character's daughter. So really great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. um, If I'm going to levy a criticism, it's just that there was a couple of kinds of description that were revealed over time, but I think would have might've been better served at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Obviously watercolor heart is discovering what the story is about as it goes on. But um, the fact that the main characters are humanoid um, like dragons yeah, uh, was not said in in the beginning so as we went through and that was revealed to us it was like a surprise and not in a big reveal sort of sense mm-hmm. but just it was information that it, we felt that we should have known but didn't so uh, yeah just including that information um, I think would have made the, the transition to more magical things as we went on mm-hmm. a little smoother but yeah. of course you know watercolor heart probably hadn't decided that that was the case until uh, they wrote it down um, one thing I, I I really like here is uh, how so much of the role-building things have uh, a direct impact on on the characters. Yeah. Like, ju- you know, just the fact that there's this, this ship out in the water. Yeah, it's um the, this, this ship that the main character talks about is not just like, a you know, a, a ship that they have because they are, you know, the king or whatever. It's directly tied to the relationships with, with the other characters. You know, they want... They, it was named... The, the, the Lasana, the love interest, um, named it after the main character, and now that she's dead, the main character renamed it after her and hopes that Omen's going to sail around on it later on, and there's a lot of emotion around this thing, and uh, I thought it was a worthy detail to include.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So thank you very much. And next up is by Jarby Jazz with Tales of Port Selene, Part 5. So
0: <laughs> we start off with these with these two um uh, characters facing off we have one in uh, leather armor sort of thing and the other one in this dark blue dress and it's uh we, we have some stuff about um, the, the setting we're kind of in this place with shipping containers it is raining bare feet splashing through wet concrete which I, I really enjoy they face off they neither of them wants to fight but the one that the woman in the dress is approaching where a place where the one in leather is supposed to be protecting and then they reveal their superpowers. Um, the woman in the dress has these, like, tentacle ribbons that she can shoot out. And there's some, you know, cool visualization stuff going on there. I, I really like how her her power is um, described. Mm-hmm. And then the other one has these electricity powers who she's even surprised how powerful she is because apparently she has not, um, I guess, fought in a storm before. And so they they do a little bit of fighting and it's it pretty... Just a couple of blows, but it's it's really clear what's going on before they decide to to continue talking it out, and realize that the the woman in um, leather is is protecting a bunch of drugs, and she doesn't actually want to protect that, and so they kind of agree to just you know let let this happen, and uh, yeah, there's just a wonderful little little dialogue here, a cool little fight scene, and I, yeah, I really like the description being done here.
1: Yeah, I mean this this story has really massive massive full description, especially. Around the short little fight scene. I mean, I, I loved how much, I, how clear it, it was exactly what was going on. And I mean, that's just a uh, testament to the great writing. Um, also, I just really love anything that's superhero powered people. I just love that idea. Um, and I really like where this story is being taken. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm very excited to read what uh, what's coming up next, and uh, yeah, really great.
0: Yeah, the the process is really quick and and, and snappy with all this. Um, like, it's it's exceptionally clear. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, really well done. Um, okay. Uh, the next uh, next and, and final story. Yeah, next right? and
1: final final story.
0: The next and final story is uh, by Find by Me, another untitled story. So here we have. These uh, main characters uh, looking off. Um, they're, they're at this sort of uh, firing range. the The main character was uh, was named before the story starts. Supplicant Six, mm-hmm. uh, but during this this conversation, after they messed up and at the firing range uh, among their their peers, they are now re- being re- demoted to Hopeful Six. <laughs> and uh, just the way that that is described uh, tells us a lot about what this this world is. Mm-hmm. They're sort of. Um, we, we would kind of get this picture that these characters are all sort of they have uh some sort of mat- magical or scientifically uh metal uh, bodies um sort of uh magical in nature there's something about the uh, galvanic skin response which i I really enjoyed and so they're this we we understand this this sort of um brainwashed or uh meditative sort of monk like um highly trained uh task force is what they're supposed to be and and they seem to be relatively young and they're like set against each other and they're supposed to have almost like no emotion you know but P- pretty classic stuff i i think it's deliver- delivered really well executed really well here yeah. and uh, the main character is, is seething for how they're being treated for just not <laughs> doing one thing correct um and we get their anger just just through how they're described so uh by the end of it they are being sentenced to 2 months of basically being demoted and having to to relearn everything and but they 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 swear that when this is over and they're at the capital and they finish their training they are going to uh use the their training against the assembly that they work for and they would have their revenge.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really really like uh this story. I love how much world how much world building is done in the naming convention alone. <laughs> Uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, as you said, it's so telling as to what this larger world would look like. Uh, and also, I really like how focused it is. Like this story mm-hmm. could be talking about the entire organization and so many other things, but it's it starts off with this per- with with six getting demoted, and then we get to kind of figure out what that means as we are reading the mm-hmm. the story, and then what these other numbers. Are, are really doing and how they are performing. And I think it's done so well to, I am, to where I am immediately in, and I feel that's, like, fantastic. And, yeah, I really, really love this, this story and really great job.
0: Yeah, I th- I think uh, in the comments, fi- "Fine by Me" it thinks that their their story is total crap. It is it is not. No. Um they they say that they wrote for fifteen minutes and then got bored and decided to shotgun as many, uh, YA plot hooks at the screen. And <laughs> the the thing is though, like those tropes are the they're ingrained in how we we think of stories. And of course, especially with something you know like a thirty minute do the right thing story, yeah. it's it's more than acceptable. In fact, you you really need to use those tropes to efficiently convey. A, a lot of information at once right when you when you do something like do the hopeful six and the the supplicant six right you have these this title system it, of course it's been done before somewhere not in this particular flavor but um, just by having that we suddenly get gain so much insight because of how we're comparing it to all the other times that something similar has gone on so now we, we yeah. very quickly understand right they have to give up their their names to be, be part of this they're somewhat brainwashed at least they're supposed to be uh there's a lot of value set in these things and renaming is you know used to punish people so we, we, we very quickly understand a lot and it's just more efficient that way so i uh, I think executing on ya tropes uh, or any tropes uh, and just trying to deliver them in an honest way i think uh is something to practice yeah and i don't think you know it, you, don't don't shy away from using tropes because then you just won't be able to write anything
1: well all right thank you so much to everyone who did write this week we wish and we hope and we pray that one day we will be able to read uh-huh. and talk about all of your stories but there simply isn't enough hours within the day but we do want to say thank you to everyone who did write a story and submit it this week so Thank you very much to Sarah Peng. Uh, thank you to Asgar Zygel, who uh, wrote a, an entry
0: from uh, last week. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to um, do it. Of course, we we, we couldn't select it but this week, but of course, your chance of getting selected did still go up. So the next time, uh,
1: it will it will go in there. Nice. And thank you very much to Custom Blue V2. Thank you, Watercolor Heart. Thank you, One Mary Lilac. Thank you, Jarby Jazz. And thank you, Fine By Me. And also, we want to give a big do the right thing thank you to all those who left comments leaving comments as we say every week is half of the job of doing the right thing not only would you understand more so about another person's story and and find things that you like but also uh you'll be able to analyze your own story all that much more uh so thank you very much to sarah penguin watercolor heart jarby jazz kasubalu v2 it's fine by me and Ace of Swore. Thank you so much for leaving comments this, this week and just doing the right thing overall. If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and sit down for, for 30 minutes and use whatever week's words suits your fancy then you can go to our subreddit, which is slash r slash do the right thing. All you have to do is go there, find whatever week you want to write a story for, and uh, get to cracking. That's right.
0: Uh, If you uh, don't have a Reddit account or just want to uh, tell us about something, you can send us an email at rightthingcast at gmail.com.
1: Exactly. And if you want to have as much time as possible to see next week's words, I'm talking about seven full days, y'all. Well... First and foremost, you could just wait to the end of this podcast. Literally, if you wait 10 minutes, maybe even five, you would have heard next week's words. But if you don't want to do that, even though I think that you really should, uh, you can go mm-hmm. to our Twitter, which is at Right Thing Cast, where we try our best to post weekly next week's words.
0: Yeah, I, I forgot to last week. And then it was like three days in. It was like, oh, well, uh, I missed one week, but I didn't. I didn't for, for, for this coming week, so uh, I'm back on track. Yeah, we're, we're back. I'm really good at this <laughs> social media thing, guys, but all right, uh, so uh, we, we, of course, are part of Doof Media, Doof. Uh, this this wonderful uh, podcast network that we're a part of, very proud to. Uh, I, I'm really bummed out that I'm not driving as much anymore because I'm so behind on almost every one of our podcasts. Yeah. I just don't listen enough right now. So I'm I'm hoping that I can I can do that soon because I have I have so much to catch up on. Uh, of course, uh, Pale Reflections is is continuing to cover Pale. Uh, I love them how they, they talk about the show so much. We, uh, learning more about just you know, uh, American magical practices through the lens of of Pale uh, Wildbo's newest web serial. Um, yeah really really great stuff going on over there And of course we have so many other shows on The, the Doof Media Network I haven't talked about mm, What to say in a very long time But it's a, it's a wonderful podcast With Scott and, Scott and his wife Elise um, Covering the hit I have no idea what to call it But I guess teen drama show uh, <laughs> The OC and it's just a wonderful you know Light hearted show and uh, Listening to it always cheers me up So uh, I, I Yeah I really recommend them So
1: If you want to support us in everything else that we do, I'm talking about from podcasting to all these wonderful events that we do through Doof Media, well, then you can support us on our our Doof Media Patreon. We have a whole bunch of levels ranging from $1, $5, $10, $20, and $40, right?
0: Uh, and the, I think 45. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's might be one even above that, but it's not like a expectation that anyone stays on that for more than a month. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) But I mean, when you do sign up, not only are you helping us create the uh, content that you probably like to enjoy, uh, but you also get access to the Doof Media Discord, which is full, which is full of great people all looking to have fantastic conversations about any and every facet of life. So there are benefits all around uh-huh. when it comes to sign up for the Doof Media Discord.
0: I think I want to plug just about the Discord is that, um, so we have a, a Doof Media Twitch account, but uh, as well, uh, Discord does have a function where you can stream whatever game uh, you have just to the people there. So I, I sometimes do that, you know, just when, I mean, my, my rig can't really do Twitch for whatever reason. Yeah. So, you know, whenever I, I just like want to kick up a game and I don't want to, especially I don't want to like schedule it uh, in a, in addition or, you know, make a commitment. Sometimes I'll just start a stream and also there's a lot of other pe- people on the Discord that do that. It's just a really great way that you can, um, you know, you, you hop in, you see someone's playing a game and you just jump in the channel and you can just talk to them as, as they play their thing and it's yeah, it's a good time.
1: Well, all right. Matthias, what do you think next week's words are? What, what do I think they yeah. are? What do you think they are? If, if you're just spitballing.
0: If I'm just spitballing, um, uh, I might think that they are, uh, suppress, uh, dab, uh, sia, and, uh, repi
1: Okay. Um, I don't know what half of those mm-hmm. mean, uh, but you were really, really close. Uh, next week's words mm-hmm. are actually suppress, bad, east, and goalkeeper. Wow. So I had it backwards. Yeah. I was really you close. You had it completely backwards. It was like you were speaking pig Latin. I read them backwards.
0: I know you <laughs> did. Alright, uh, so we have suppress as in to um, keep something down, right? To suppress a feeling, mm-hmm. to uh, suppress a revolt, right? To suppress dissent, make sure that people can't hear it. Uh, bad, as in not good. <laughs> um, east, as in not Best. west. <laughs> and goalkeeper, as in I wish I could think of a a knot there, but I can't. But the 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 person in front of the goal who uh, keeps the ball out of it essentially. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there any other definition for goalkeeper?
0: Um, I think you could do something with like the keeper of the goal. Like, so there's like a goal in the future, and so someone like keeps that in mind okay. or something. So so like using it as a know.
1: position. Yeah. Okay.
0: Or or everyone can just write some some sports next week. Exactly. That's that's possible.
1: <laughs> all about sports. All 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 the footballs. Uh, All right. Mm -hmm. So since I'm not writing next week, I'm going to make you tell me what your story is next week. Matias.
0: Next week, uh, we so that the theme for our discussion, right? Atmosphere was this week. Next week is going to be themes. So basically the the message or what what you're trying to impart on the reader, which doesn't necessarily have to be a a very specific, you know, like uh, parable kind of kind of message. You know, always make sure you treat your friends well it doesn't necessarily <laughs> be like that it can also just be something that you're exploring here and um providing some direction to, for people's thoughts yeah and i mean theme so, is
1: yeah is very very broad so uh there's definitely a lot mm-hmm. of discussion and ideas that can be brought up when we do 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 talk about that so make sure to listen in on it
0: that's right so uh my story is going to uh be or okay okay so in far far in the east far in the east there's there's a there's a there's a bad guy oh. there's a bad guy far in the east he controls the entire nation of a uh, country and he suppresses all dissent and so there was a ragtag team of rebels who who uh plotted on how they were going to bring him down and this is what they came up with See, the bad guy, the bad ruler who suppresses everyone, uh, he really likes sports. He really, really loves sports. Uh, so he watches uh, the, the, the soccer game, which is not really a soccer game. It's a different game entirely, but it's very close to soccer. Um, the only real difference being that uh, people have uh, flags on their backs, but it doesn't really affect anything else. Anyway, uh, so, he's, so at the the big game, right? uh of the year he always attends so the ragtag t- rag team of rebels uh form their own team and they go up the ranks in this amazing season uh, it's, it's pretty it's a pretty great underdog movie in fact they they have a dog that's part of it uh the dog is um actually the the goalkeeper um who 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 blocks who blocks the ball and so they 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 go up and um they they do the team in the, in the final game, and they're facing off actually against the uh, bad guy's family because you know he's really corrupt. He's going to be they're they're the opposite team, and uh, they you know they're supposed to win. The rebels are supposed to you know uh, sabotage themselves, but they don't. They fight on, and then they win. And then uh, at the very end, when it seems like they're they're actually about to lose, but they aren't. They kick the ball. That the, the actually the the goalkeeper dog uh, kicks the ball. Uh, you know, like backwards and it sails into the goal and then explodes, killing everyone there instantly, <laughs> including the bad guy.
1: Wow. Uh, I am looking forward story. to reading your like air bud fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to top that somehow. Uh, so my story, which this is one I've really been, th- been thinking about. Right. Um, so, put your mind in the future. Everything's great. Okay. Skyscrapers, mm-hmm. the size of mountains. There's no traffic. Everyone has food. Everything is beautiful and bright. But, we've ran out of baby oil. Whether uh-huh. whether people are just having too, too much sex, or their skin is just too smooth, the masses okay. of the world population used up all of our reserves of baby oil. To where there's nothing left. Okay. So, this small ragtag group of uh, devout baby oil worshippers, because you know by by now it's become more of a religion than a device used to uh, lubricate your body.
0: Naturally, uh, naturally, naturally. naturally.
1: Uh, this ragtag team journeys to the east to find the very last well of underwater baby oil the issue with this is that everyone knows about it so it's kind of like a a a, a race for the last piece of treasure left right mm-hmm. uh so they run into bandits and they run into cops uh, they they run into bad guys and and good guys and they even fall into a football stadium and have to play 12 rounds with uh, derek jeter Uh, Uh uh-huh uh and if you don't know how football is properly played um dare jeter is the goalkeeper um but okay eventually after all these crazy and kooky antics they finally made it to the underwater reservoir of all the baby oil that god gave us when he first made this beautiful world and then, in that very final moment, our two heroes decide that they should not take the baby oil. Because if it was all for themselves, then eventually they would, suppress the, the, they would suppress the masses with the price of their baby oil. So instead of creating this wonderful and joyous monopoly that would have given them as much money as they possibly would have wanted, they decided to bottle this baby oil and give it to the masses. So you too can have the smoothest skin anyone's ever seen.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's a really, really good story, Jarvis. Oh, thank you. And I I think my, my favorite part about it is this, this theme that like at, at the very end, um, you know, you, you, you you push past your, your greediness mm-hmm. and you just make sure that you do the right thing. Do the right thing, yeah.
1: I mean, that's all, that's, that's what it's all about. Right? <laughs> all right, that's all right.